November 1963, the first episode of Doctor Who was broadcast. Little did people know that on that evening, a television legend was born. And now, 50 years and 11 Doctors later, Doctor Who will celebrate its half-century in November 2013. And already, social media, bloggers, forums and podcasters have already begun those celebrations. But why has this show survived, and how has a little British sci-fi show about a man who travels through time and space in a battered blue police box, once famous for its wobbly sets, cheap special effects, and occasionally hammy acting, become the global sensation that it is today? In an occasional series of interviews, I'll be talking to fans, bloggers and podcasters, and try to find out what they love and hate about the show, what their favourite memories are, and ask why has this show about a madman in a box survived for so long? My guest this week is Chris Burgess from Radio Free Scaro. Thank you for joining us, Chris. Oh, thanks for having me. Not a problem, not a problem. Um, first, you might remember some time ago, Chris has been on this podcast before. Um, we talked about The Stolen Earth, wasn't it? Oh, journey's end. Journey's end. Yeah. Yes, indeed, indeed. Well, this time, um, obviously, we're not reviewing. We're here to talk um, to you about your feelings about Doctor Who and how you got into it. So, basically, um, how did you get into Doctor Who? Because it's not, obviously not a, uh, a Canadian program. So, nope. what was your, what was your route into it? Not only is it not a Canadian program, uh, outside of Ontario, it really wasn't much of a Canadian thing at all. Um, so when I was, oh goodness, seven, eight years old, somewhere in that range, so we're talking 30 years or better ago, um, I uh, used to go over my, to my dad's place. Uh, parents were, well, and still are divorced. Um, uh, go to my dad's place for you know the weekend, and uh, he was a Doctor Who fan, and we used to watch it on uh, the American Public Broadcasting Service station, uh, KSPS out of Spokane, Washington. And uh, basically, I started watching it as a way to just spend more time with my dad, and like as a bonding sort of thing. And it, mm-hmm. it just sunk in, and I became a Whovian. And I'm not afraid to use that word Whovian. I don't know why it's such a four letter word in some some parts of the fandom. Um, I, I, think, I think that's probably more more of a British thing, the the anti Hoovian tag. Um, Could be. Yeah, I, th- I think I did hear somewhere that um, it's it's not liked over because it was it came from America because it, it's sort of like the Trekkie thing. It had it fandom for Doctor had to have a label, so Hoovian was adopted by apparently by American fans, and it's not liked in certain quarters of the UK fandom. Mm. Um, but. Uh, I'm with you, actually. I don't. I don't really care. Hoovian. I'll go with that. That's cool. That's absolutely cool. Um, but for those of the, in the UK who don't know what PBS is, now that is um, is that public, PBS, public yeah, service P- television, isn't it? 
It is. Uh, it's more or less the the U.S. equivalent of the BBC, just very very poorly funded, relatively speaking. So would you sort of like get like an episode of Doctor Who, and then in the middle of it you get a pledge drive? Is, is that uh, how it works? <laughs> at times, yeah. Um, so the, the the PBS station that I grew up with, and I don't really know if it was um, applicable across the entire U.S. broadcasting system, but for the one the one we got anyway here, uh, it would sometimes they would show individual episodes. Sometimes they would show omnibus editions of of things. Um, every time they did just individual episodes, it was like you know Saturday afternoon or weeknight or whatever the heck I can't even remember. This is this is way longer than my memory will go back but uh, <laughs> uh we would often get pledge uh, pledge drives yeah so uh, they they would have you know certain times of the year where they have the pledge drives so they'd have have all the the you know the talking head pieces with people supporting public broadcasting and then they'd show an episode of I don't know, Faulty Towers or whatever. And then they'd go back to the, the Pledge Drive stuff, show an episode of Are You Being Served? And Pledge Drive, show an omnibus edition of Doctor Who or whatever. Um, or sometimes they'd have special. Uh, Doctor Who was a big thing for for KSPS, um, at least to a degree. So they'd often have um, like Doctor Who evenings where they'd show multiple things. So one one that really stands out in my mind was from 90. 293, somewhere in there when Tomb of the Cybermen was found. So we would get, um, um, oh, what was the name of the documentary that went with it? The one hosted by the Anorak, the literal Anorak. Um, <laughs> oh, no, the one, re- I'll resi- resistance is useless, resistance is futile, something like that. I think resistance is useless, useless I, think. I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah right. So, for example, we had, we had that and then uh, a pledge drive and then we got uh, Tomb of the Cybermen or, or the like, yeah. Yeah. So what was so what was your sort of first doctor then? Because obviously these weren't you didn't <laughs> you didn't see them in any particular order. I, I would assume. No, no, they were all over the place. Uh, I honestly don't know if I had a first doctor uh, just because a being seven or eight at the time when I started watching, I don't remember what my first stories were, mm-hmm. and b there was a time when the station was showing episodic stuff from whatever given doctor and then omnibus stuff from a different doctor. Mm. So it, it would get very confusing as a child as to what was going on. Uh, so I honestly have no idea who my first doctor was. Um, odds are it would have been either Tom Baker or Peter Davison. I know the last doctor I got was uh, John Pertwee. Oh, wow. It really was out of all events. <laughs> it was, yeah. So, so what was it that actually hooked you in? Precisely. Can you can you remember what what was it a particular story or a particular scene that sort of stuck in your mind and and nope. just kept you coming back for more? Nope. No. No particular story or scene. Um, oddly enough, the only the only strong memory I have of a given scene from watching as a child was in Horns of Nymon uh, episode three or whatever it was uh, when when they're all going through the, the Nymon's maze and they come across that, that husk of a body and, and somebody touches it and it collapses into dust Yeah, uh, like that's that's my strongest Doctor Who memory from childhood and I could not tell you how far <laughs> how far into watching Doctor Who that, that actually occurred for me but uh, no I, I don't know it was probably just the, the adventure or the whimsy or the stories or something that, like that that I 
that I, I latched onto, but I, I, I couldn't tell you precisely what it was. <laughs> so I suppose at the time then, when the show was cancelled in uh, back in '89, it it didn't really sort of affect you as a fan too much. I would assume then. Less so than it would have for yourself, yeah. Um, so, for example, in 1988, the local Doctor Who club here in Edmonton, um, they put on a, a Doctor Who convention, which was, if not the first for Edmonton, was certainly one of the first. And our <laughs> the, the sole guest was John Levine. Um, you know, <laughs> make, make of that what you will. Um, <laughs> Uh, well, all he, I can say is he, he, can make up, he can make up for any number of guests, John Levine. He can talk. <laughs> he can talk for England. That guy. So. <laughs> he, he can. Uh, having having met John Levine several times subsequently in recent years, uh, it's it's both a little heartwarming and uh, a lot depressing that uh, a lot of the stories and jokes he would tell in 1988 when I first saw him uh, are the same things he's telling in the 2010s. But uh, <laughs> at any rate. Um, we had had this had this uh, local Doctor Who convention with I don't know two or three hundred attendees. It wasn't super big, hmm. uh, but it seemed big to thirteen year old me. But uh, we had uh, I, I'm I'm pretty sure this is what went down. And and if Stephen, my co-host, if he's listening to this, will probably correct me if I'm wrong. But I seem to remember that um, that weekend. Uh, the weekend of that convention, that was um, July or August 1988. That's when we had season 24. The uh, we got Dragon Fire. Yeah. That that Saturday of that weekend. Um, so we were, you know, roughly a year behind at that point in time. So that's not too too far then, really. So, but what was it like, sort of? Because um, you say it wasn't it wasn't well known um, in Canada. So what was it? No. How, how did you sort of gravitate towards other Doctor Who fans? And was it just simply just attending conventions you, you saw advertised or was it just through just chatting to people? And, you know, sort of, I was like, oh yeah, I'm a Doctor Who fan as well because it, I mean, up until, I mean, really until 2005, mentioning, saying in a conversation you were a Doctor Who fan was almost like a dirty word. Uh, I don't know if it was such a, dirty word over here so much as uh, what the hell are you talking about kind of word but um i i was lucky enough to have a reasonably active doctor who club actually well there were two there's one that succeeded the other uh but a reasonably active doctor who club here mm. that i found when i was 12 or so um my other co-host from RFS, Warren, uh, my mother and his mother were friends uh, when we were growing up. So I met Warren, or Warren and I met each other because our mothers were friends. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I knew Warren was a Doctor Who fan, and he and I would talk Doctor Who. And I knew he was involved with this Doctor Who club. Mm-hmm. So I got involved with this Doctor Who club uh, roundabout via Warren. Uh, so I, I, I knew that the club was around. It just took me a while f- to actually get to a meeting and meet these people, but um, there was a not a large, but at least an active, thankfully, element of fandom uh, ever since I was a kid in the city. So I, I got to got to meet a bunch of people through that. Uh, several of whom I'm still in regular contact these days, and who I've you know the basically the longest friends, longest term friends I've had are Doctor Who fan friends. Oh, that's that's lovely. Actually, that's a nice little story. <laughs> that's great. So, I mean, what about? Um, obviously, when the when the show did end, um, you, you talked about going to the clubs. So, did it sort of move towards sort of more like the Doctor in the written format? Because obviously, that that filled the void 
uh, with, with like the new adventures um, and the Target novels as well. That's that did sort of filled the void for many many years. Um, was that something you got into as well? Uh, yeah, it was. Um, the 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 first of the two Doctor Who clubs around here folded around nineteen ninety two, and then um, some of us from uh, from the club started another one, uh, and that that didn't last for for super long either. Um, but so the, the 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 active fandom element had kind of gone by the wayside. Obviously, I was still in contact with with some people from the club, and we'd get get together and watch the odd episode or talk about Doctor Who or whatever. But it 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 sort of migrated toward a more solitary thing, and and definitely the books helped to helped with that side of things. So, I mean, I'm, I'm sitting here in my living room, I'm looking at my bookshelf full of Target books and New Adventures books and whatever, and, uh, like, I uh, I bought the first four or five dozen of the New Adventures and pretty much stopped from there because I, I remember I, I remember at one point I, I kept buying these books just not reading them. So I'm like, okay, I'll save the six or seven dollars a month or whatever the cost was and just stop buying the books because I'm not reading them but at least for a time they were very useful and um, around that time Doctor Who magazine finally became a realistic price like it used to be insanely expensive to import Doctor Who magazine and then Marvel I think it was still Marvel at the time finally released it yeah, finally released it at a, at a reasonable price for Canadians. So I started reading Doctor Who magazine to uh, help fill the void as well. And uh, yeah, so it was definitely definitely all the written stuff that uh, that tidied things over until 1996. Now, what about the um, stuff like the because obviously the other thing that sort of filled the gap uh, was the audio. Um, stuff as well, so we had things like the Ghost of End Space um, and things like that on the BBC. But then, of course, Big Finish started. Now, was was that something you you got into as well, or was that or was the audio no. thing hadn't really caught on in North America? Audio thing never really caught on here. Um, Is there a particular the, reason for that, or th- I don't know. Uh, I just don't. I don't think it's as as well ingrained into the culture here as it is over there. Uh, the the CBC, for example. I assume they're still doing it, but used to run like you know Sunday afternoon dramas on the radio and so on. Uh, so there was certainly an audience for audio drama, but uh, for the most part, it, it really wasn't a thing over here. So I remember as a kid taking, uh, as, as a kid, I would take out from the public library things like the Pescatons mm-hmm. or uh, Slipback or whatever, and, and listen to that. Not really enjoying it, but listen to it. <laughs> Slipback, especially, I don't recall being very good. But um, maybe just got from the wrong foot with the audio stuff. Then <laughs> maybe, but uh, I, I, I certainly had dabbled in in the genre well before Big Finish was a thing, and it, it just it, it never took for me. And and once Big Finish did come along, and and we had this this regular output of of really good quality stuff, well written, well directed. Um, it's still just. It it was never a thing for me, and to this day, after well, Big Finish is coming up on fifteen years of Doctor Who licensing, and I've listened to a grand total of two. Wow, I must admit I've come pretty late to that party myself. But what I've I've got more and more into um, their productions, um, and I'm, I'm, you know, on the, for the most part, they are pretty damn good. To be honest, they really are. Um, I, I, can, I can see why they they are so insanely popular. Yeah, I, I, I 
practically never hear anything negative about them. Um, and the the two that I have listened, like I've listened to um, Jubilee and um, uh, I can't even remember what the title of the other one was. It's one of the Paul McGann ones. Uh, the one that was very much like Ghostlight. Um, I can't remember. Anyway, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, both written by Rob Sherman, and the main reason I listened to them was because at the time I was living in London <laughs> on a regular basis, hanging out with Rob Sherman, and I kind of wanted to listen to some of his stuff. Hmm. So this is this is well after Dalek came out, but I wanted to, to listen to some of his big finish stuff. So I listened to to um, oh, I I really want to look that one up now. But the, Paul McGann, <laughs> I, th- I think it was with Charlie. Um, uh, there's a creepy old house. It's very ghostlightish, and I, I wish I could remember the chimes. Uh, chimes of midnight. Ah, yes, yes, yes. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I listened. I listened to Jubilee and Chimes of Midnight. I listened to Jubilee because obviously of its inspiration for Dalek, and then Chimes of Midnight sounded really cool. So I listened to it, and uh, but I, I did not listen to it because it was Doctor Who, because it was Big Finish, just because they were written by Rob Sherman. Yeah. Yeah, I, I can see that you were particularly attracted to it because of the the author. Rather than anything else, so mm-hmm. but I'm not saying I, w- I would, you know, I would recommend trying trying to listen to some more. Maybe I'll send some your way. Who knows? Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> um, but- um, there's, there's, yeah, there's, there's no shortage of ones on my list, especially <laughs> especially older ones that people just constantly talk about. So you know, whatever spare yeah. parts or whatever um, that that have been on my list for years, I've just never bothered to to make the effort to listen to. Uh, it's a shame. It's a shame. You should try. You should try. Um, we we. So briefly touched on fandom a minute ago. Now, obviously, since 2005, when the show was uh, brought back to our screens, um, Doctor Who has never, ever been so popular. Um, and as I said, it's now no, no longer a dirty word um, mm-hmm. to say Doctor Who in a conversation. Um, is there sort of part of you that sort of wishes that it wasn't quite so popular, that it was, it was still that sort of niche little, <laughs> that niche little program that uh, it used no. to be? No, not at all. No, <laughs> actually, that's not true. Yes, there probably is a very small fraction of of, of my psyche that wished that, but <laughs> for the most part, no. Um, it's. I think I think the the biggest issue I take these days is I really wish a lot of people who watched Doctor Who or came to Doctor Who with a new series got into the classic series. And I can totally understand it if they don't. I just feel really hypocritical when I think you should watch that classic series. Know your roots kind of thing. Yeah. Um, And, but like I said, I can totally understand if they don't just because whether it's the pacing, the length of the story, the production values, the, you know, whatever. Um, I can totally understand if they, if they don't want to watch it um, and, and just stick with the, the, the new series. And, and even then, I mean, uh, a lot of people who might come to Doctor Who with a new series, they'll look at the classic series and say, "Oh, that's you know those sets are horrible, or or the the, the lighting it's overlit, or whatever. It just looks looks like crap." And then you look at something like um, the 2005 Chris Eccleston series, and you just look at the pacing of that versus what we're seeing these days with Matt Smith, and it's it's even that's a world of difference. And we're talking essentially the same series with a small, much smaller gap. Um, so yeah, and I can tell. Totally understand them not going into the classic series. I just wish they would would watch more of it and, and, and get a feeling for why it's important that the Master came back or what the, the root of the Cyberman was or whatever. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, I've said this on um, 
sort of the previous interviews I've done, but it does seem to be that there appears to be like three um, three camps of Doctor Who fans now. Um, you've got one just classic series, or or refuse to watch the new stuff, um, or you've got you know the ones in between, and then you've got the the new Who fans only. Yeah, Actually, it, I've, 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 I don't think I've ever yet met anybody who watches classic Who and refuses to watch new Who. I have. I've I've met people who watch new Who and they might grumble about it, but they'll still watch it. Yeah, I've, I've actually met people who will not... Well, they started to watch the new series and just got so, for whatever reason, got fed up with it. And now they just listen to Big Finish. <laughs> they just want their classic Who fix with the classic actors. That's all they want. Um, and, you well, know, I, su- I suppose they're probably the same people who haven't listened to a record past 1978 or something like that. <laughs> yeah, probably. You know, when, when, when Keith Moon died, so did rock and roll or something. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. Um, rock and roll died that day. Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> But um, no, I mean the other thing as well, um, because of the popularity, um, now it's, there's so many fans, it's just exploded across the globe. Now it's not just this little, this little British mm. show anymore. Um, the other thing, the media really latched onto this as well. And what I mean, what's your take on the media? Because they do, especially the British press, they seem hell bent on apps, you know trying to ruin the program. Mm-hmm. I mean, do you, I mean, do you, well, you do you, you get you, this in in the, in the, like Canadian press? Not at all. Um, I mean, trying to trying to read British stuff and and like it, it's it seems very very evident whether it's actually true or not. It seems evident that that uh, you know, like the Mirror, for example, is, is out to ruin Doctor Who. Um, but no, we we don't get that at all over here. Doctor Who really doesn't get much of a mention. Um, one, <laughs> for better or for worse, one thing about Canada is we have very few media companies. So you know, media company X will own this whole range of radio stations, TV stations, newspapers, whatever. Mm. So you're gonna we get a lot of cross pollination of of stuff from one channel on another. So for example, um, Bell. Uh, is one of the major media companies here. Um, they own Space, who is the Canadian broadcaster for Doctor Who. Mm-hmm. Uh, they also own other things like um, one of the national sports networks. So we can be, you know, watching watching a sporting event, whether it's you know hockey as a good Canadian should be watching, or <laughs> whatever else, American football, English Premier League, whatever. Yeah, and you're going to get ads for Space on on the sports network. Uh, and it's it, it, so you know you're getting these ads for Doctor Who in the middle of a of a football match or something like that, and it's 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 really strange to see. But uh, beyond that, we don't really have much in the way of media. Like newspapers won't give a shit about Matt Smith leaving and 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 trying to foster rumors that it's going to be Ben Wishaw or Rory Kinnear or um, Ben Daniels. Who, the other one. Ben, Ben yeah. Daniels, or, yeah. or uh, what's the guy from End of Time? David. Um, oh, David uh, Harewood. David Harewood, yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, I don't read newspapers here in the first place, so maybe I'm not the best person to ask, but my understanding is we don't get anything along that line. It, there's no rampant, rampant fever about. Uh, you know who's going to replace Matt Smith as an example? So I suppose you, you must sort of, um, from your position on, on the other side of the pond, you must look at <laughs> look at us over in bemusement of <laughs> of why are we so um, sort of basically sort of the press actually frothing at the mouth um, to a to, to release any spoiler they can um, mm-hmm. you know, to, to ruin the show or just plant 
rumours and, you know, to usurp actors or usurp Stephen Moffat or RTD or anything like that, you know. I can understand from a quote-unquote journalistic perspective trying to be the first to release a given piece of of information, i.e. rumour-mongering. So, you know, whether it's pictures of John Hurt from the the set uh, or... Whatever, I, I can totally understand that because if if you happen to be the first publication that that releases a given fact, uh, then you're very probably going to sell more newspapers that day just because Doctor Who is such an institution in Britain. Mm. Uh, but it's 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 things. What I don't understand are things like the Sun publishing outlandish, outlandish crap that is. You know, there's no way in hell it's going to be true. So like, <laughs> yeah, Harry, yeah. Harriet, Harriet Jones is the Red Dalek, or you know, whatever. What, you know, any other number of stories the Sun has published over the years, yeah. or, or the Mirror just outright slagging off whomever uh, from the production team or, or whatever. Like, I, I don't get, I don't get the hate toward it, and I know it's well, actually I don't know it. What I understand from you know third parties however true it may or may not be is there's there's an agenda from the editor or publisher of these publications to go after the bbc in general and obviously doctor who is one of the biggest properties of the bbc these days so it's a natural target but uh, oh, I, definitely definitely i don't understand it no I don't, I, I don't think a lot of us here do either to be honest and we're the ones who buy the papers so um Maybe we should stop, and they maybe they'll stop as well. <laughs> Who knows? Who knows? I'd like to think so. Yeah, I'd like to think so as well. So, um, I mean, obviously, we've, we've now sort of moved on to sort of like the uh, the, the new show and the, it, everyone's reaction to it. Um, but obviously, you podcast on a weekly basis and give your your thoughts and opinions um, on it. But um, what what brought you into podcasting as well? How how did you get involved <laughs> in that? Uh. Just as I got into the Doctor Who fan club via my co-host Warren, I got into podcasting via my co-host Warren. Um, <laughs> Warren and Stephen started Radio Free Scarrow um, in a handful of weeks, at least seven years ago. Um, they were working together at a TV station and decided that, hey, podcasting is a new thing. Let's give it a try and let's talk about Doctor Who because Doctor Who because they were both Doctor Who fans. And then another mutual friend of Warren and, and mine also from the Doctor Who Club back in the day, mm-hmm. uh, let me know that Warren was now doing this this new thing called a podcast, and it was all about Doctor Who, and maybe I should listen. So I did. I started mm. listening, and I uh, <laughs> I started. Oh man, I was I was such a bad fan, uh, bad, <laughs> such a bad listener. I would uh, like I. I, I've I've mellowed as I've gotten older, thankfully. But uh, you know, even seven years ago, when I first started listening to RFS, I would quite often be in touch with those fine gentlemen uh, with with uh, my own opinions, often contrary to their own, and uh, <laughs> leaving leaving blog uh, comments on on their blog on Warren's blog posts about the release of an episode, or or emailing about this or that or whatever. But eventually, that that kind of migrated toward me supplying them with uh, you know uh, topics of discussion or uh, content for shows or, or whatever, and and then uh, about a year after they began, I joined because I had made the choice to move to Britain, and uh, as much as anything, 
part of the plan was for me to just get ensconced in British Doctor Who fandom and and start to be able to talk about that side of things on the show. Mm. And that happened, but then I wound up coming back to Canada and I've just, you know, it's not like my my presence on the show was rec- uh, was was uh necessitated by me being in Britain, but no, it's it it's it things just happened and we got to know each other and um it was decided that hey, maybe I should start coming onto the show and I did and then uh, ever since August 2007 I've I've been on there been there ever since been there ever since I mean obviously I mean Radio Free Scaro is you know um probably sort of at the most listened to Doctor Who podcast um, we um, we think so yeah. I, I would say you are I would say you are um but now you've sort of um got to pump with your opening conventions in particular um Gallifrey 1 um mm-hmm. what what does that feel like stand in front of um in, in front of people podcasting <laughs> from 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 where I'm sitting or standing for those, not too bad because it's Stephen doing most of the work. Um, um, it's 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 actually really really cool and um, very humbling because uh, you know we're 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 Canadians. We're modest by nature, or at least most Canadians are. Uh, <laughs> one would hope, yes. One would hope. Um, so it's just really weird to be to be asked to like Gallifrey One is by some standards not a super huge convention. Uh like we're at uh, a Calgary Expo uh, a couple of months ago and that's the second or I think it's third second or third largest convention in Canada with something like sixty thousand people uh, mm-hmm. in attendance. So something wow. like Gallifrey One, which is thirty five hundred, uh is is you know, a drop in the bucket by comparison, but it's still a crap ton of people yeah and, and to and to to be the first to be the the to be the 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 thing that opens the convention in front of a thousand or fifteen hundred people and it's just you know just us on stage interviewing it's not like we're doing what our normal podcast would be mm. for better or worse um it's it's really freaky um the 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 strangest thing that's ever happened to me in, in my Doctor Who fandom journey is getting to know people involved in the show. And you stick with a fandom long enough, or if you're in the right place at the right time or for long enough, then you're going to start to get to know people involved. So, I mean, if you happen to be a, a huge fan of the A-Team, for example, and you live in Los Angeles, yeah, you might run into, well... Um, What's his face is dead. George Papard is dead now, but you know you might run into Dirk Benedict or you might run into Mr. T or or, mm. or um, whatever, um, and and start to get to know the people involved with your your favorite show. And then living in Britain, that that you know just got amplified. But the convention experience is great for getting to know people. And then live in the UK, and it's just you know, a whole other world. But um, it's it's just really strange to think that you know casting your mind back to being a twelve year old sitting there watching Nightmare of Eden or something, and then thinking, hey, I've met Tom Baker, uh, I've met Lala Ward. Actually, I haven't met Lala Ward, but you know, yeah, you know what yeah. I mean. Like going through and 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 thinking, you know, I've I've sat and, and shared stories and shared shared drinks with Philip Hinchcliffe or whatever, and it's it's just freaky. <laughs> I, mean, and, and I, was, the, I was going to say because I say the Philip Hinchcliffe was at um, Gallifrey one this year, and I remember at the time when it was announced, um, I, I, can't, I can't remember what, you, what your comment was, but you were pretty damn excited about the fact that he was going to oh, be fuck there. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> fuck yeah. <laughs> um, 
two two of our absolute favorite people ever, bar none, uh, from Doctor Who have been uh, have been Philip Hinchcliffe and uh, Graham Harper. Yeah. And 2010, our second Gallifrey one, Graham Harper was a guest, and we got to sit down and just shoot the shit with him for a while, and it was, I'll, I'll never forget it. Like we're we're we arranged and <laughs> we actually we didn't really arrange an interview with Graham Harper. We we sort of you know, winged an interview with Graham Harper and uh, <laughs> we, we, we had a little bit of time and then we were looking at the, the, the guest schedules and we, we knew that Graham Harper had a little bit of time. So we're scrambling to find Graham Harper and see if he can, you know, give us a few minutes for an interview. Mm. Phil Ford, you know, dude who co-wrote Plan- um, not Planet of the Dead, Waters of Mars. Yeah. <laughs> head writer for Sarah Jane Adventures. We got Phil Ford on our behalf running around the convention floor looking for Graham Harper to find for us to interview him. Like that blew my mind. And then <laughs> we finally we finally run, you know, uh, Phil finally finds Graham and brings him up to to the lobby where we were and Graham's like, "Okay, I've got X amount of time, whatever." Um 20 minutes or something, so we have to do this now. And then we start to sit down, we start recording, we're talking to Graham Harper. Like, Graham fucking Harper, man. Um, <laughs> and then, you know, we're running out of time, and Graham's like, oh, no, no, let's just keep going, let's just keep going. It's like, oh, man, that's awesome. And Philip Hinchcliffe as well, like, as soon as as soon as we knew he was going to be a guest at Gallifrey this past year, uh, like, our, our, our teenage fanboys inside us just just exploded with orgasmic lust. It was just, <laughs> and then, so like we're, we're we opened the convention, uh, twelve o'clock on the Friday mm-hmm. is is when the when the live show starts. Um, so our, uh, Hinchcliffe was our, our second guest after Sylvester McCoy, uh-huh. and then just even before even before the show, I'm just standing in the green room, just whatever, just schmoozing, getting my badge. I don't even remember what the hell I was doing at the time. And in walks Phil Hinchcliffe. And I'm like, okay, let's do the right thing. Go introduce myself and say, it's good to meet you. We've got you on stage in about a half hour, looking forward to it, et cetera, et cetera. And so it's all very cordial, very very businesslike. And then in the back of my mind, I'm like, I can't even speak. This is Philip Hinchcliffe, <laughs> fucking Philip Hinchcliffe. <laughs> and it's, it, it's just also surreal. And I mean, conventions are... Uh, Conventions are a concentration of all this, of all this fandom and all this, this oh, funkiness, and it's mm. it's oh, it's just amazing stuff. And I mean, until I went to like the, the very first convention I ever went to, I was I was thirteen years old. It was nineteen eighty eight, the one I spoke of a while ago. Second convention I went to was a one off Tenth Planet thing, uh, a one day Tenth Planet thing in Barking in two thousand eight, um, which was fine, but it was it was all very. Well, it's all very, very hands off, very distant. You know, yeah. the, the guests were on the stage; they were doing their thing. They were they were sitting behind the tables in the autograph for the autograph cues, and and other than that, it was very hands off. And then we get to Gallifrey, and it's it's all very, it's very friendly. It's very intimate. It's 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 kind of small. The guests are for the most part freely, you know, intermixing and mingling with with the, the, the convention attendees in the in the lobby or the bar or whatever. You're running into them at the nearby restaurants or and it's it's just such a friendly, welcoming environment and you get to know these these childhood heroes and it's just fucking freaky. It sounds amazing. I don't know. It sounds absolutely it is. amazing. 
Yeah, it is. Like if 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 I could if I could go back and tell my twelve year old self, you're gonna go and meet this person and this person and hang out with them and drink beers with them and whatever and whatever whatever. Um, it's like I I would not believe myself. There's no way in hell. Is there anyone else you would you would still like to meet or interview with regards to Doctor Who? Is it is there sort of like sort of like the like the holy grail, as it were? Uh, we use the term white whale at RFS, <laughs> uh, the Bobby Dick reference. Uh, the, our white whale was uh, Graham Harper, and then we talked to him, and mm-hmm. then that shifted over to Peter Davison, we talked to him, then that shifted over to Phil Pinchcliffe, and we talked to him. But as far as who's still left, um, I would love to sit down and get drunk with Eric Sayward. Okay, um, yeah. I think he would be a very interesting person to talk with. Uh, never met him. Never been at a, an event where he's been there. Um, and RTD, I think, would be the biggest of the bunch right now. Because uh, I've 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 met Moffat several times and, and shared a pint with him at the Fitzroy and all that. So I've I've, I've been there, done that. But uh, RTD, I think, would probably be top of the heap right now. Uh, just because you know, it's, I I. I I'm not a fan of his writing style, but man, that guy's a hell of a producer, and he's still, you know, very, very heavily responsible for the resurrection of the show. And I've, no matter what I think of of him as as a writer, um, I have the utmost respect for him as a Doctor Who fan. Well, I mean, I mean, he's, I mean, we've got him to thank for the absolute behemoth that the show is these days. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, he brought it back in spectacular style. Um, so, yep. you know, thanks to him. The show has reached its 50th anniversary. Did you ever? Mm-hmm. Did you ever think that it, we would be celebrating it, the show's 50th anniversary? I think so. Yeah. If, as, well, you know, you know with, as, with, with the show actually still on the television, not like with the like the the, the 40th, yeah. for example. Yeah, I think I think I, I think I did have that expectation. Um, I mean, as 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 a kid growing up with Doctor Who, and and you know, you were watching season 16 or something so you're going through key to time and you're watching and, and you don't really think much about it and and if if, if you're still a, a new viewer maybe you don't know much of the history and then then you start to read things so like um as a kid i would i would just devour peter haining's books so celebration and key to time for example um and you start to learn all the history of the show and the fact it's been running for well at that point 20 or 21 years mm. and you think okay well if this show can run for this long why can't it run forever yeah. And so I think I, I think at an early age I got in the mindset of, you know, this show has been running as long as it has. There's no reason it can't run forever. With the exception of one time, and I can't remember who it was, and I'd love to kick them in the shin for it, but <laughs> somebody somebody once upon a time when I was a kid uh, told me that when Peter Davison, uh, at the end of Caves of Androzani, when Peter Davison finished his run, that was it, the show was over. And I believed them. Sucker. <laughs> Sucker. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. I'll bet you like but, to meet yeah. I hope they don't meet you in the dark alley, then, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like, like you know, as soon as, as soon as you know, okay, fine. It, it, you have to be of a certain age, I think, to to have this perspective. So you know, somebody around your age or mine, mm. um, knowing that a show had been running for you know twenty five years by the time McCoy was was in full swing, you think, yeah, why can't it run for fifty, seventy five, a hundred? Um, and and so yeah, I, I definitely think I had an expectation of there being a fiftieth with the show still on the air. Well, that's um, as we're in the fiftieth year. And my my final question to you: um, we've got the fiftieth anniversary coming up. Um, 
what do you hope for from the 50th special? If there's anything, if you had a wish list, oh. what what would it be? Uh, I don't have a wish list. Um, I think the only thing I would have really liked that I know for sure we are not going to get mm-hmm. is a nod to the old doctors. And we're, I know we're not going to get it because we've already had it in the name of the doctor. And exactly. that was magnificent. It was. It was fantastic, wasn't it? And uh, that's that's as much as I could hope for. That's been delivered. So at this point, I have no expectations. So, I'm just hoping I'm hoping for a good story. I think we could all say that as well. So I think we could all agree on that one, definitely. Just a, good, a damn good story and see the, uh, the 50th um, through to the other side in style, I think is the uh, yeah. all we could hope for. We, we we know Jenna Coleman's sticking around. We know Matt Smith is sticking around. Well, for one more story anyway. So yep. you know we don't have any any specters hanging over our head about being the last episode for a given actor or favorite actor. And so just, I, I look forward to sitting back and enjoying the ride. And and uh, as far as the celebration of past doctors are concerned, I don't need that in the 50th anniversary special. We've had that in the name of the Doctor, and we're getting that from Mark Gatiss' special whenever that's airing. And that's enough for me. Excellent. Well, Chris, thank you very, very much for joining me this evening. It's an absolute, absolute pleasure talking to you. Listening to the Who's He podcast. Please visit our website at who's-he-podcast.co.uk. You can also follow us on Twitter at who's underscore he underscore podcast. And please also join the Who's He podcast Facebook group. The Who's He podcast is a member of the Doctor Who Podcast Alliance.